was a peasant and kings. He began to unveil the word that would change the course of all things. With eyes wide open, all would see the word is alive, and it cuts like a sword through the darkness. With a message of life to the hopeless and afraid, breathing life into all who believe the word is alive, and the world and its glories will fade, but its truth it will not pass away, it remains yesterday and forever the same. The word is alive, simple strokes on a page, eternity's secrets revealed, carry on from age to age, it speaks truth to us even still, and as the rain falls from heaven, feeds the earth before it returns. Let your word fall on us and bring forth the fruit you deserve with eyes wide open. Let us see the word is alive and it cuts like a sword through the darkness with a message of life to the hopeless. And afraid, breathing life into all who believe the word is alive, and the world and its glories will fade, but its truth it will not pass away. It remains yesterday and forever the same. The word is alive.
God be 
Hey, good morning, church. As people are still coming in, we're going to begin our time of worship together. Let's sing together. I stand to praise you, but I fall to my knees. My spirit is willing, but my flesh is so weak. Light the fire in my soul.
so light the fire in my heart again. Hey, good morning. Why don't you be seated? So welcome to A&M Church of Christ this morning, our worship time together. Welcome to all those who are looking and watching online. Um, let's not take for granted the wonderful beauty, treasure it is worshiping together. One uh, word that we want to pass on right now is that uh, we got word this morning that Irma Muth passed away. Um, we expect that her... Uh, arrangements will be made available to you soon, and we expect that uh, funeral service or memorial to happen sometime later this week. Uh, Irma Muth, longtime member of this congregation. So will you pray with me as we begin um, our time together? So Heavenly Father, Creator, Lord Jesus, our Savior and Holy Spirit, who Jesus gives us as our comforter and advocate, may our worship time today be pleasing in your sight. Let us sing with our heart and our mind. Help us treasure in our hearts the unique blessing it is to be able to sit with one another, with family and friends and new acquaintances as we raise our voices to you, as we remember you in our Lord's Supper, and as we listen to teaching from your word. Thank you for the great sacrifice, Jesus, that you made, that we are forgiven, that we're white as snow in regard to our sins, that you've cleaned us, you accept us, in fact, you're eager for us to be in your presence. Thank you for your love, thank you again for your sacrifice. And it's your name, Jesus, because of you, we can pray. Amen. Let's worship together. All right. Let me invite you to stand once again. Hey, and good morning, by the way. We're so glad you're here. Thanks for coming and joining us for this time of worship and this time of praise. I hope that as we sing songs of praise this morning, that God is honored and glorified, not just in this place, but also in your heart. So may your heart be lifted up. May our lives be lifted up before him. All right. So there's some words on the screen. Some are in white, some are in yellow. I'm ready for this. Are you ready for this? I don't know if you're ready or not, but I think I am. So let's try it. Here we go. This is the day the Lord has made. Yeah, you're ready. Here we go. Let's sing. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. At the name of Jesus, every tongue confess. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Every knee shall bow at his name. There is no other name, no name by which we're saved. There is no other name but Jesus. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. At the name of Jesus, every tongue confess. And at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Every knee shall bow at his name. Once I was lost, wandering in darkness, no life inside, no hope inside. He called my name and healed my blindness, set me ablaze. 
Now I'm alive with His love breaking through my heart of stone Love breathing to awake my bones Love reaching out to save my soul Love never gonna let me go And now my heart so full of worship I can't hold back, I can't contain it For all he's done, Jesus my Savior I am ablaze and full of thanks for His love breaking through my heart of stone Love breathing to awake my bones Love reaching out to save my soul Love never gonna let me go Love calling me as I am Love making me new again Love lifting me when I can't Love never gonna let me go Wherever you've been Whatever you've done Come as you are Come into his open arms Wherever you've been Whatever you've done Come as you are Come find his love breaking through my heart of stone Love breathing to awake my bones Love reaching out to save my soul Love never gonna let me go Love calling me as I am Love making me new again Love lifting me when I can't Love never gonna let me go His love never gonna let me go For the King of 
So great singing from y'all. We really missed the two corners here when y'all aren't present. So awesome praise. I appreciate it. So I think to this morning, I'm going to uh, jumpstart uh, and continue the theme that Dean's going to be preaching to us about, not just today, but the next few weeks. And it's about being hungry. And of course, when we talk about hunger, we probably first think of our physical hunger, but I want to challenge you to use this time that God gives us each week to dial down deeper than the physical that we think of. So it's going to start off with, you're not allowed to think about what you're going to have for lunch today or who you're going to have it with or where it's going to be. Okay, so just put that out of your mind and, and let's talk about some of the deeper spiritual things that God might want us to 
talk about. But first, to appreciate it, think about when you've been physically hungry in your life. Just think about the longest time you've gone without food. So the first time I was ever even challenged to think about doing that was in junior high for a lock-in. And if some of y'all are young enough, y'all don't even know what lock-in means, but they don't really lock the doors for a 24-hour stay at the church building, but you stay there and we didn't eat anything in order to realize what hunger you know, was like. And we did that twice. Um, and that was really my first time. Then I went in college and spent a whole summer in Southern Mexico working with people who really suffered from hunger in the villages in the mountains of, of Mexico. And I got to see firsthand some of what malnutrition you know, happens. I know some of y'all have had those kinds of experiences as well. Um, also, uh, my wife and I had uh, a trial early in our marriage where we felt like one of the things we should do was do some fasting because we really wanted to be parents. And uh, that wasn't happening on our time frame, but God has a different time frame and one that uh, blessed us amazingly. But those were the physical pains of hunger. Y'all can look at me and see I don't miss too many meals, so I don't experience hunger too often, physical hunger. Um, but right now, I'd really like for us to dial down to the spiritual growth challenge that we have every week to begin to reflect on, God, what are these flesh hungers that I'm feeling here on the surface versus what are these spirit hungers that you really want me to, to, to go after and to fulfill. And so Jesus himself knew the difference between that, and he often preached and taught about it. And there's one passage in John 3, 6, um, where he's, he says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. The physical is merely physical, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So let's pray in the spirit together before we take this bread. And let's remember not just what Christ did for two to three hours for a supper where food was t taken, but what he did over three years of ministry to teach and love the people that he was living life with and give us an example to think about those deeper things that we could strive for to feed our souls. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for our church family here, those that are physically present in the building and those that are uh, with us all over this world, especially those brothers and sisters in Ukraine and in Eastern Europe. Our heart has just been so heavy for them and um, they know physical hunger um, and, and fear. And, um, and we can learn from trying to empathize with them and to dial down this very moment to what some of the spiritual things that you would want us to deal with in our own lives. We just lay them before you at the foot of the cross, Lord, and give them to you and remember that your body is the bread of life. And we're about to take of it physically as a symbol, but help us to take of it every moment of every day this week and renew our souls with the nourishment of your words and your examples.
We pray these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. some scripture, God had Paul write down some pretty important words in Romans 8 about this very struggle between flesh and spirit. Therefore, there is now no condemnation, no guilty verdict, no punishment for those who are in Christ Jesus, who believe in him as personal Lord and Savior. For the law of the spirit of life, which is in Christ Jesus, the law of our new being was set you, has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For what the law could not do, that is overcome sin and remove its penalty, its power, being weakened by the flesh, man's nature without the Holy Spirit. God did. He sent his own son in the likeness of sinful man as an offering for sin, and he condemned sin in the flesh, subdued it and overcame it in the person of his own son, so that the righteous and just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not live our lives in the ways of the flesh, guided by worldliness in our sinful nature, but instead live our lives in the ways of the spirit, guided by his power. For those who are living according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, which gratify the body. But those who are living according to the Spirit, they set their minds on the things of the Spirit, His will and purpose. Now the mind of the flesh is death, both now and forever, because it pursues sin. But the mind of the Spirit is life and peace, the spiritual well-being that comes from walking with God, both now and forever. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, thank you, thank you for your amazing word that you had preserved for us over these many centuries so that we can read it together as a brotherhood and sisterhood, as a family of believers, as a, as a family um, that has faults. And we lay those faults before you individually now, and we ask your forgiveness, and we ask for this uh, cup that we're taking, the blood that it represents to wash us of those sins, to just cover us in every manner and cover this whole week to come, Lord, because it has. Whether we want to step into it or not, you've covered us. You've got our back, and we thank you for that. In your son Jesus' name, amen. We'll sing this next song just as a prayer to the Lord. Jesus, keep me near the cross. Bear a precious fountain, free to all the 
Calvary's mountain, in the cross, in the cross, be my glory ever, till my raptured soul shall find rest beyond the its beams around me in the cross in the cross be my glory ever till my soul shall find rest Whenever we get together, we like to make this church body aware of some of the things going on within the body. This is not an extensive list. There are multiple things that happen um, weekly and also seasonally here, and that can be found on our app or online. But there are three things we wanted to highlight this morning because they have some timeliness associated with them. First of all, a few years back, you might remember, we announced and had um, a few... Um, times of worship and praise at the Grand Stafford Theater in downtown Bryan. It was an AFC-generated event. It was something students sort of wanted to do on their own. It was them starting it. It was an instrumental praise service. And so that's what we're going to do tonight. It's simply, mostly, probably best described as us singing praises to God with student leaders in downtown Bryan. And we want you to know it's taking place at 7 o'clock tonight, and you're invited. In the past, we've had some people who were not AFCers be there. We love that. So it's got an intergenerational flair. Um, it's only about 50 minutes or an hour's time, so it's not a huge commitment of time, but it's a great um, time to feed your soul. Tonight, 7 o'clock, we call it Overflow, downtown Bryan on Main Street, the Grand Stafford Theater. We'd love to see you. You've already heard us mention some about the 50-year reunion. If some of you have been online through our social media, perhaps you saw the sweetest video that Kelly did for us, Kelly Davidson did with Bob D. And he did a, did a little plug inviting people to the 50-year reunion. The response that we're getting seems to be really strong from all those AFCers of the previous years. So this has happened April 23rd and 24th. I want you to know because we want you there. Many of you are part of the AFC or were parents of AFCers or just a part of this congregation which AFC is a big part of. And so we're one big body. So a lot of the things that will be taking place on that Saturday particularly, you're invited to. We want you to be a part of. You remember the 100-year celebration. It's going to have a little bit of that same flair and feel. We anticipate a lot of people being here wanted to hear, remember. I mean, hear what the AFC is doing now, but also remember... Um, when they were here. And I mentioned a special prayer this morning to the AFC when it comes to the 50-year. You know, a lot of people who've left and gone on, some of them were in the 70s and 80s and 90s here, and they've gone, they've gone through difficult times, and some of them have some, this is not going to be a surprise to you, but some of them sometimes pull away from God. 
I would love for this weekend to be a, a time of resurgence for them, a time when they dedicate, they remember singing at Devo. They remember these friends, and they have those kind of conversations so that it can be a redemptive event for people who are coming have not have sort of pulled away from God. I want them to rush back, and maybe that this weekend can be that for them. Also, we want you to know about a, a spouse, a loss of spouse seminar. Now, this is being put on by uh, Steve Smith and Jennifer Minkler, Judge Steve Smith and Jennifer Minkler, and it's obviously specific to people who are grieving at the, at the loss of a spouse. Most of this information is going to be on uh, the website or on the app. It's taking place, I think it's next Sunday, April 3rd. I want you to know about that. I want to repeat, um, because it has some timeliness here with this announcement, uh, because of a loss. And remember, if you were not here at the very beginning when we did the, when we did the welcome, Miss Irma Muth, who had been a long-time member of our congregation, passed away. We're going to let you know again about the details about that upcoming this is also time for us to give. Thank you for being a congregation who gives of your financial resources, who gives of your time, who gives of your other resources. When we ask something for our house or whatever, y'all just are such a great giving conversation. It's one of the things that I think is that we're becoming and have been known for. We give. It's a part of our service, a part of our spiritual walk. So this is the ways that you can give. You see up there online and mobile and check or cash out in the foyer. This is also a perfect time for the children's offering. So if you want to make your way up here, children, and then you can be dismissed a two-time. Here's two runners coming down. Three. Whoa, don't collide. Okay. Whoa, whoa, we collided. Anyway, then you can be dismissed a two-time, three-time, four-time, and kids' praise. I'm going to sing, sing, sing. I'm going to shout, shout, shout. I'm going to sing. I'm going to shout. Praise the Lord. When those gates are open wide, I'm going to sit at Jesus' side. I'm going to sing. I'm going to shout. Praise the Lord. I'm going to sing, sing, sing. I'm going to shout, shout, shout. I'm going to sing. I'm going to shout. Praise the Lord. And when those gates are open wide, I'm going to sit at Jesus' side. I'm going to sing. I'm going to shout. Praise the Lord. There is an endless song echoes in my soul. I hear the music ring. And though the storms may come, I am holding on. And to the rock I cling. How can I keep from singing your praise? How can I ever say enough? How amazing is your love? How can I keep from shouting your name? I know I am loved by the King, and it makes my heart want to sing. I will lift my eyes in the darkest night, for I know my Savior lives. And I will walk with you, knowing you'll see me through, and sing the songs you give. How can I keep from singing your praise? How can I ever say enough? How amazing is your love? How can I keep from shouting your name? 
I know I am loved by the King, and it makes my heart. I am loved by the King, and it makes my heart want to sing. Good morning, church. Howdy. It is great to be back with you. I'm, actually, I was here last week, but uh, Zach was, uh, was doing a, a two-week series there. So appreciative of him. I mean, it's, it's one thing for those of us that this is what we are, are just blessed to be able to do as part of our vocation, to be able to get and, and prepare a message and share it. But uh, I, I think about Zach and doing a full-time job and clerking for the court uh, all the things he was experiencing with it been going on in his life and to come and, and to share with us. It's an incredible gift. And, and I, I, uh, I appreciate those opportunities. First week we were um, gone for spring break, but to be able to just be here and just, just be a member, just be present with you and connect. So that's a, that's a gift to me. So I, I'm, I'm grateful for that. Also, I'm just listening as Brian Sharon. I'm just, I so appreciate the heritage of this church. I mean, we celebrate the hundred years, but then 50 years of, of the gift of of college students. My life, as you know, was literally changed through college ministry. So I never stopped thanking God for a congregation that is willing to really practice intergenerational ministry and to keep passing that faith on uh, to generations. What a great vision, too, that Brian shared, that this is an opportunity to, uh, to not just reunite with people that we've been with before, but reunite our hearts to God. That's exactly kind of what I want us to be thinking about for the next few weeks leading up to Easter. I want to do a little mini-series here. really want to preach into it, so we'll talk more about that in a moment. But just this idea of, of hungry. What does it mean to be hungry and to allow God to awaken our soul's hunger for him and longing for him all over again? Here's a way to think about it. First of all, we're, we're headed up to that period of time in the year where people all over, our, all over our culture, even if they're not Christian, they're going to recognize this day we call Easter. Uh, by the way, can I just say, I, I appreciate being part of a church that we don't have to hide that we're celebrating that. <laughs> I, I don't know some of you that's hopefully foreign to you, but I, I grew up in a setting where, you know, it, and it's true, we would say every Sunday we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. We're not going to do anything different on that day. I get that. That's true. At the same time, this is the analogy I think about, I celebrate my children's lives every single day of their life. But you better believe on their birthday, I'm going to do it up. <laughs> so it's all right. It's natural to say we're going we're gonna to celebrate the fact that God takes us from death to life. And he literally modeled that in his son. And I love the opportunity that the fact that people kind of are a little open to that. And they're talking about it. So let's step into that. That's beautiful. But here's what I love that throughout Christian history, from the very beginning, people didn't rush to Easter. From the very beginning, the people of God, followers of Jesus said, we want to actually prepare ourselves for the promise of Easter. And that's what we're doing in this little mini-series. Think about what, is it, what does it look like to once again just kind of open ourselves up, um, or maybe for the first time, open ourselves up to the promise of God moving us from death to life. So we're going we're gonna to talk about that in this series. So let's begin just by reading the text we're going to look at here. By the way, just so you know, my rhythm, um, if I've done a series in the New Testament, I want to I go back and, and spend some time in the Old Testament. So this series will all focus on passages in the Old Testament leading us up to the promise of Jesus. So we're going to read in Isaiah chapter 55. you got your Bibles or your devices, turn there with me. I'm going to read the first nine verses. 
And this is the, uh, the promise of God at a critical time in Israel's history, and it fits our season as well. Isaiah 55, this is the word of the Lord. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. See, I've made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations you do not know will come running to you. Because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy. On them, and to our God, for He will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, I pray along with the psalmist, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, I'm sure you know that it's common for preachers to make jokes from time to time about putting people to sleep in their sermons. <laughs> uh, we do that, and, and uh, by the way, people will kind of send those jokes back. I'd already written this introduction when I had one of my dear shepherds and friends give me a little preacher sleeping joke this week, as a matter of fact. I won't mention his name, Jerry Fox. <laughs> you see this beautiful picture, a little gif of, the, of, a, of a dog, the old dog, Falling asleep on the couch, and he said, oh, is this one of our members that you're used to seeing on Sunday morning? We do it. Let's be honest. We get up, and we speak, and for whatever reason or another, I promise I'll put you to sleep at some point in time, and we do that. But here's the thing. Sometimes it's a little more conspicuous than other times. I remember it was a while back. We, we were at a little church in Virginia, and we still had the, you know, the formal Sunday night service, and I was slated to preach that Sunday night. I'm thinking a small church, I'm thinking there's 50 people there and may, maybe four of them wanted to be there, <laughs> you know, kind of doing their duty and, you know, I'm preaching and, and I kind of realize I'm getting to the end of the sermon and, I, and I'm looking down and, and I realize the worship leader is asleep. He's sitting right where Jeff was. I'm going to pick on Jeff. So I'm thinking, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm going to try to wake him up. I don't want to embarrass him. So I talk, talking louder, you know, I can do that a little bit. And so I punch a word here and there and I pause and then try to get him to jump, you know, it, that didn't work. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to, you know, I move a little bit. And so I like to get closer to folks. So I come on down next to the worship minister and I start talking and I'm just, you know, mentioning, you know, before we get to the final song, <laughs> I got a couple more things to say. I would just go and go and go. Nothing. I mean, no luck at all. So I'm like, look, I got to land this plane, so I'm just going to do what I do. And, you know, back then, the, the sacred words to, to finish everything up is, you know, if you have any need, you need to be baptized or anything, why don't you come forward as we stand and sing? And it was like Pavlov's dog. He jumped up. <laughs> he was ready to go. 
I come to this passage and I realize it's not just tired song leaders. It's not just bored listeners. Everybody from time to time needs a wake-up call. Everybody from time to time, God, God wants to just stir us just a little bit to wake us up to what he has for us because it's easy in the middle of the routines of life to kind of just drift, drift, and drift off. I, I love the way the message translates this. Let me, let me read how the opening line is. In, in the NIV that I just read, it said, come, come, you are thirsty. The new RSV says, ho, <laughs> Santa Claus is calling, you know, wake you up. But this is, this is the message. Hey there, <laughs> hey there, all who are thirsty, come to the waters. If you have no money, come buy and eat. And in that moment, the prophet Isaiah steps down from the pulpit and he gets uncomfortably close to all those who might be listening and he's crying out for them to wake up to what God is about to do. I think it's such a fitting thing for us to maybe get our minds and our hearts ready for Easter more than just the dress. You're going to do it more than the fancy new shoes or the shirt or whatever it may be, more than buying the chocolate. Can we get ready in a way by hearing what God has to say in this moment? He says, listen, can you wake up to your real hunger? God says, can you wake up to, to your soul's real hunger? What's going on inside of you? Again, for centuries, the people of God have been saying, can we prepare our hearts as we're leading into the promise of death to life by just taking a moment and saying, I want to practice even being hungry for the one who made me. Now, we're going to go through several pieces of the image that Isaiah is using here, but the foundational image that he's working off of is of a feast. It's a summons to a grand banquet feast. And he's announcing this feast and he's saying, come to this feast. And he's announcing it to starving people who don't have the money to buy the food. He's announcing this here, come to this feast and I'm inviting all of you who are desperately hungry and have no means for getting to the table any other way. And specifically, I just want to really lean into that first word. Again, come in the in the, in the NIV, New RSV, ho, but hey there, I love that. It's a kind of wake-up word. Did you know this word in Hebrew was used in the ancient Near East as a summons not just to any feast, but to an ancient funeral feast? So yes, it's not just those in the South that like to surround loved ones at a time of loss with food. It's, a, it's been going on for a long time. And what's particularly powerful about this word and the practice they had in that day is this word come or hey there or wake up. This word was intended not just to summon the people that are there to come to the table. They were actually words that were intended to wake up the dead person to come and eat with them. Now, they're not crazy, and Jesus hasn't shown up yet, and so they don't think it's literally going to happen but this announcement, we're going to come to the feast, we're going to honor this person's life, it was done in such a way, it was literally intended, kind of symbolically intended, to wake the dead and invite them to the table too. Now, can you think of how fitting that image is for where we are in the Bible? When Isaiah writes his prophetic book, he's writing to people that have been taken into exile. The people of God of Israel have been taken into exile. 
You'll hear me say this a lot, but I like to kind of give an image. What's the short summary of what exile was for Israel? Exile was God's extended time out for his children, right? Sometimes a loving parent is facing a situation when the child's rebellious again and again and again, so they put him in time out for a while, not just to punish them, but to wake them up. And Israel, of the course of centuries, had been running away from God, rebelling against God, refusing his offer of life. And so he says, okay, I'm going to put you in time out for a while to reawaken your hunger for what is real. And so it's powerful that when Isaiah uses this word in the image of those who would gather around a funeral feast, he's telling them, look, you're not just poor, you're dead. And honestly, what he said for them, and why we do this before we go up to Easter, it's true for all of us. Scripture reminds us this is true for all of us. We all have been dead. And it's part of the gospel is to understand that death comes before life. And that's true for people, certainly, that don't know Jesus. But let's be honest, it's true for all of us who do know Jesus because we would all admit, if we're honest, there are places in our lives and our hearts that are still not alive with the resurrection power of Jesus. So Isaiah calls for us to wake up, to summon the dead in us to awake. And it's an incredibly powerful image here. I want you to think about this. The invitation here is to be conscious about being awakened. But we do know this from time to time. Life will force upon us a hunger. Uh, by the way, let me be clear, too, about what I'm talking about in this whole series. What, what do I mean by the, the spiritual hunger we're talking about? I'm talking about the idea, Isaiah will say it here, but it's throughout Scripture, the idea that you cannot get what you most deeply need. That's the hunger I'm talking about. You cannot get, you cannot create on your own what you most deeply need. And there's nothing that you have that can kind of generate that yourself. You don't have what you need and you cannot get it on your own. Does that make sense? This whole series, this is what I mean by hungry. Can we admit to God, you don't have what you most deeply need for life and you can't get it on your own. I'm telling you, we know this, we just forget. And sometimes life forces us to remember. I, I, I think about a, a single mother that I knew. And, and she had lived as a child through tragic and horrible circumstances in her past. And then as a young girl made foolish and, and difficult decisions of her own. All of that contributed to the fact that she ended up in a place where she has these children and she has no money to provide for them. And, and she has that moment where she's just crying out in, in a deep life hunger that says, I want to break the cycle of poverty. I want to take care of the people in my life and I have no idea how I'm going to do it. Now here's what scripture tells us. That's not just that woman, that's you and me too. How did Jesus begin one of his most memorable sermons, blessed are the poor in spirit. What does he say? You're, you're impoverished. And so am I. On my own power, effort, and instinct, I have nothing to bring to the table. I am spiritually bankrupt. There are times that our lives tell us that, but can we hear Isaiah's call to kind of be conscious about that in our own life? Or I think about a friend of mine that uh, I love him so much, but he spent over the last 10 years, 10 years or more, 
just cycling through one failed relationship after another, one foolish relationship after another, one empty relationship after another. Wonderful guy, but he's, he struggles with this. And he will call me every three or four months, every now and then, I'll just kind of reach out and I love him, we'll interact, we'll talk and all of that. But, but what I hear in him is he wants to break this cycle. He wants to get out of this rhythm and he doesn't know how to do it. One of the things I love about the language of celebrate recovery, they talk about 12 steps, so they make it available and open to everybody. Why? Here's the thing. Not, not everybody has alcohol addiction or something like that, but I love their language. Every single human being I know, including the one talking to you, has hurts, habits, and hangups that steal our joy and steal our life. Isn't that great language? Every one of us has hurts, habits, and hangups that want to steal the life from us. And it's not just my friend who struggles with that. I suspect all of us have something that's holding us back from fully experiencing the life of God. And Isaiah says, can you wake up to the fact that there are parts of us that are dead? Or, or think about uh, an article I wrote, uh, read one time. There was a lady that wrote on, the title was The Sacrament of Time. What a beautiful, beautiful idea. The sacredness of moments in time. And she was writing about her experience of spending the last few days of her mother's life caring for her mother as God took her home. Here is what she wrote in her journal. I put chapstick on her dry lips and I combed her hair. I rubbed her feet with lotion. I wept and fought with God saying yes, saying no, saying please. She coughed and fought death for six days and nights. Time was both short and endless. Never to the end and to this day, and in spite of much encouragement, was I ever convinced I was always doing all the right things. Some of you experience those kind of moments when we can put it out of our minds for a while, but death will show up on the door and remind us that what we most deeply want and we most deeply need, we cannot do on our own. And one of the things that I appreciate about the Christian story is it has the guts to tell us the truth, which is it's really helpful for us to admit that, to say to God, I am not in control of my own security, my own peace, and my own well-being. And I think it's really helpful for us before we rush into the great celebration of God's life out of the midst of the tomb and the cross and all of that to just say to him again, God, I surrender to the fact I can't do this on my own. Wake up, he says, to the real hunger of your life, your soul's deepest longing, because you can't generate it, you don't have what you need, and you can't get it on your own. Text goes on to tell us, you know, there's a deeper problem too. It's not just that we can't get it. <laughs> it's that we try to fill ourselves up with things that I call empty calories, right? Isn't that a great image of it? And I get hungry, I'll just shove my face in a big old cake. <laughs> Isaiah says, stop spending your money on things that are not bread. Stop spending your labor, your energy, your life on things that do not satisfy you. It's empty calories. 
Can I share with you? I would just get this image in because I think it's powerful what he's doing here. I, I, I looked up an article, his journal article on, on health, and it talked about, here's what empty calories are all about. I just want to be really clear on the definition here, and you'll see how it fits today. Empty calories can provide some immediate energy. There'll be a little bit of a kick, a little boost, right? But they can't be used to build muscle, supply vitamins, give you a sense of being full, or provide any other nutritional benefits. <laughs> and any empty calories not used for energy will be stored as fat. So how about that? <laughs> You eat these empty calories, gives you no nutrition, no strength, no sense of being full, and it makes you fat. Other than that, it's great. I share this with you confessionally because Shipley's Donuts is right around the corner from my house. And you know this, it's not about not having it at all. You can take some in. I confess to some of my friends that after a 15-mile bike ride or so with my son Luke yesterday, I had to have a Whataburger. Every now and then... It's all right to have some empty calories, but, but listen, God says there is a spiritual version of this kind of thing. There's a spiritual version of things in our lives, focus in our life, activities in our life, that'll give us a little boost, a little jolt for a moment, but it cannot sustain your life over time. And he says, stop spending yourself, stop giving yourself, stop pouring your energy into those things that will not ultimately give you life. Now, here's the thing. It's not that these are even bad things. Nothing wrong with a donut here and there. I just shouldn't make it my whole meal. <laughs> right? Go look at that documentary. It was Super Size Me. Did you ever see that? The dude for like months ate nothing but McDonald's. And if they said, would you like to supersize it? He would always make himself say yes. It was horrifying. And God says, listen, we do that with our spiritual lives sometimes. We fill ourselves up with things that will not sustain us over the course of our lives. Why, he says, you spend money on things that aren't bread. Why your labor on what doesn't satisfy you? So here's just a simple thing. It's kind of a Holy Spirit application for the next couple of weeks. What if we took some little time? Okay, go, go buy the dress and get new pair of boots, whatever it may be, get your chocolate, do all that kind of stuff. But somewhere in there, ask yourself the question, what am I spending myself for? What am I pouring my energy and my life into? And ask this question, God, is that something that will sustain my life over the course of eternity? I'm not just talking about going to heaven, I'm talking about now. I have a mentor of mine some years ago, he had this wonderful practice, I remember. And I confess, I haven't done this, but it's a mental thing that we could maybe do. What he would do from time to time, if he found himself like getting too attached to something or some activity, it was just like taking too much of his heart, not bad things, but it was just taking too much of himself. He would take out a post-it note and he would put it on those things and he would write one word on it, temporary. Watching too much TV, it's fine to watch TV, but temporary. Too much on the computer? Temporary. Too much of sports or activity or whatever? Temporary. Now, here's the real powerful thing. Again, I'm not, I've never done this myself, not advocating, but, but it was a powerful practice. If he caught himself again and again and again, put post note of the same kind of thing, at the end of the year, he'd give it away. 
Again, I'm not saying do that specific thing, but what if we took the next few weeks as we're leading up to the celebration of God moving from death to life to say, oh, what is it I'm pouring my being into that may not be worth it in the end? It'll give me a jolt, but it's just empty calories over time. God says, please, please don't try to fill yourself up with things that will leave you empty at the end. He's pleading with the people of God for a hearing. Now listen, he's not just picking on them. Here's part of what I want you to see. This section in the book of Isaiah is coming at a time where he's turned to hope and comfort, right? If if you look at the book of Isaiah, the first 39 chapters are about the conviction, kind of what we're talking about here, convicting them of why they ended up in exile in the first place. But this is the end of the second section of Isaiah, changes in chapter 40. It starts this way, comfort my people, comfort them. That's the beginning announcement, and it ends with this glorious image of the summons to the kingdom of God and the table there. And all of that is to say this. Here's what God wants to say. Listen, the hungry will eat, and the empty will be filled. He convicts them for 39 chapters to let go of the emptiness of the empty calories and the empty ways of life. Why? So that they can hear his summons. He says, seek me and live. Find me here while I'm still close. Come to me now. Why? Because when you come to God, you will be filled there like nothing else you could ever imagine. I told you there are different images here. One of the images is the funeral feast. But there's another image that he's playing off of here. It's the image of the ancient marketplace. And what they would do in the marketplace there, it's still true around the world today, is there'd be vendors, there'd be sellers, they'd be out there crying out for you to come and receive what they have to give. I remember when we went to Israel, it was after college, so it's been some time, maybe the, maybe the number has changed a little bit, but I remember as soon as we walked into the old city of Jerusalem, it's really powerful, one of the few places that kind of lives up in reality to what it kind of looked like in my mind, because Cars don't go there anymore. You walk in the old city, it's all walled in. There's no cars, and there's, you came in, there's a marketplace all around. And the first thing that we experience is little kids coming up, tugging us on the shirt, saying, two shekels, two shekels, trying to get us to receive what it, is, what it is they had to sell or whatever. Now, do you hear this? It's the ancient marketplace. The only difference is it's no shekels, <laughs> no cost. And God's giving you something of infinite value, and you don't have to pay a thing. He's announcing to them, come. The other part, the last little part of this image is one of the things that became true in the ancient Near East is they would throw a big banquet feast when they dedicated a new temple. Anytime the temple got dedicated, let's have a big banquet. So come, come to the presence of God. And over the course of the time in Scripture, that image developed and solidified to the point where It became the image of the final coming of the king, God, and King Jesus into the universe. Scholars will call it the eschatological feast in the kingdom of God. But when God puts everything right in the end of time, it's like a great announcement to all of creation, to anyone that would listen, come and be filled at this table. Jesus picks up on that image too. So if you go to Matthew 22, you can find him there talk about a king who's coming and he spreads an incredible banquet feast and he invites all of his friends, one after another, they say, I can't come, I got business to do. 
I got some stuff with family. I got some things going on here. And they're like, okay, we'll go out in the street. Invite more people. Invite more and more people. Bring them. The feast of the kingdom of God. I love the way one writer put it. But he said, listen, all that can exclude you from God's banquet feast, all that can exclude you is insisting that there are other places that you would rather be. Only thing that keeps you out of the kingdom of God and the banquet feast of the kingdom of God is I've got empty calories over here. I'm, I'm going to pay attention to that right now. I, I'm, I'm over here. No, please, please come into this incredible feast. I know it's so simple, but can you hear me on this? I've struggled. I need to be reminded of it myself. Listen, God says, when you come to me, the hungry will eat and the empty will be filled. God says, when you make me the center of your existence, I will fill you in ways you never dreamed. God will be enough. We have the testimonies throughout Christian history. I love the way Philip puts it. The night before Jesus died, he said this, Jesus, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. What would it be like to live in America and say, I've got enough? Or the great Julian of Norwich. Have you heard of this great lady? She lived in the second part of the 1300s, passionate pursuer of Jesus. When she was 30 years old, got hit with a terrible illness, was like killing her. And she used that as an opportunity to do what we're talking about right now. Make me more hungry for you. She cried out to God, make me more hungry. I long for you. A couple lines from her journal that we still have. She said, Our good Lord revealed that it is very pleasing to him that a simple soul should come naked, openly, and with familiarity. Basically, come hungry. All you've got to do is be hungry when you show up. And I love this line. It's one of my favorite one-line prayers in all of history. She said, And lovingly I pray to you, O God, by your goodness, give me yourself, for you are enough for me. Isn't that good? By your goodness, just give me yourself, for you are enough. That is the promise of God. He will fill you up like nothing else you ever imagined. And what's so great about this, there's only one requirement for this promise to be true. You just got to be hungry. It's the only thing he asks is just be hungry. Just want it. Come to him and open and say, I want it. So here's my thought just for the next couple of weeks. Can we practice being hungry for God? Find a way to be practicing being hungry for God. And you might do it just by thinking about what you long for most in the future and how, how does God take you to that place? If you might, like me, you might think about, man, uh, there are times of the past, man, I wish I could just kind of recapture my innocence as a child. God can give that to you. Or, or what's kind of gotten me there recently, just stuff that's going on in the present. I, I just, can I just tell you this? Maybe it's different things for you. I can't get Mariupol out of my mind, city in Ukraine. Can't get it out of my mind. I won't say the Russians. It's not the Russians doing it. Putin bombed a theater. People are seeking shelter. Civilians seeking shelter. And you know what they wrote. They put on the outside of the building in huge block Russian letters. What did they say, people? Do you know? Children, don't bomb this place. And Putin bombed it. As best as we can tell, there's over 300 people, civilians who died. Don't sometimes you just get hungry inside? God, can you make this place different? 
Can the people who have power in this world stop playing power games with other people's lives? Maybe we just practice being hungry for God to bring life out of death, and maybe it'll change your Easter experience all over again. God says, the only thing that I ask of you to see power and wonder and life more amazing than you've ever known is just be hungry for it. More than the junk that's all around us. I had an experience of this. You ever have living parables? Jesus did that, by the way. He enacted parables. You ever have living parables in your life? Give you a picture of what you want? I had a picture of what, what I long for for churches to be about. Picture of the journey that God wants to take us on from emptiness to fullness. It was at this church in downtown Nashville. It's downtown Presbyterian Church. It's a famous place there. It's, it's well known. Quick, quick background of it because I, f- I find it humorous, but it's, it's kind of cool. One of the most famous, I forget his name, but one of the most famous uh, early American architects was invited by the pastor of that church to kind of design this church building, have this, this fancy church in downtown Nashville. And he didn't really want to do it. So he, as a joke, he made the most extravagant, crazy kind of design using like Egyptian-like themes and like clouds on the ceiling and all this crazy stuff. And he showed it to the pastor and he said, I love it, make it. <laughs> and there it is. <laughs> and every day people will come and they will visit it and all that. And Sunday mornings, they gather. The church still gathers in this place. But I went there on a Wednesday a friend of mine that started a ministry there in downtown Nashville because she wanted to break the cycle of poverty. Her name is Tasha. Instead of just giving handouts to people, she said, I'm going to start, and there's other people have done this, I'm going to start a homeless newspaper. They write it, they contribute it to it. It's called The Contributor, and then they sell it. So for 25 cents, they can buy a paper. They'll give them a certain amount free, I think 100 free, and then they could build up a business. So they learn kind of economies, and they learn to build a business, and it breaks the cycle of poverty. It's just amazing. And it was a Wednesday. And they had kind of an overflow of, of the vendors for the contributor. And they came into this church building. Wednesday was the day they would come in to pick up their paper. And the first thing that struck me, I came to watch this and I was sitting in there. The first thing that struck me is all the people that were in that room probably wouldn't have been there on Sunday. First lesson that hit me, by the way. People will come to your church if they think that they will find life in there. People will come to your church if they think they will find life in there. They'll come. So maybe the problem is those of us who lead aren't offering life. It's the first thing I saw. They filled this place. And what they would do is they would, uh, they would go around the room and and introduce themselves and talk about how long that they'd been with the contributor. And it was any range, just like a church would be, right? From people that were there for the first day and people that had been there from the beginning. And again, there were two people in particular that grabbed me as an image of the journey that God wants to take us on from emptiness and hunger to being filled. First was a guy who came down and sat right down on the front pew. And he said, this is my first day. He said, I'll be honest with you. Police arrested me a couple days ago. I have nothing. I have nothing except for the clothes I'm wearing and what I'm carrying. That's all I've got. And they welcomed him in that church building in that group, and they gave him a front row seat. 
On the other side of the journey, I heard, I didn't see from where I was sitting, I could hear in the back because I call him the worship leader that day in church. He was the coordinator of that ministry, but he called out one of the guys in the back. And this guy said, yeah, I've been doing this from the beginning. He said, this month I sold over a thousand newspapers and I've been building up over the last several months. And as of today, I'm no longer homeless. Broke the cycle of poverty. I thought, there it is. That's the journey every church should offer people. A front row seat when you've got nothing. And watch the power of God fill you up to the point where you're not in that place anymore. And you can speak hope from the back to the guy in the front. Isn't that the church we want to be? God says, can we practice being people that start by admitting the first place your preacher needs to be is on the front row saying, God, I got nothing. I can't do this. I can't do what gives me life or anybody else life. So here I am. Can you take me this way? And watch him fill us up to the point it spills hope out to the entire community all around. Father God, that's our prayer. As you bring us up to this glorious day, and yes, we celebrate it every day, that you are the one that conquered the tomb and you conquer the tomb places in our own hearts. So we want to dedicate some time here as we lead up to that day and say, here we are, and we desperately need you. We need the life that only you can give. And we want to receive it, and we want to share it. To the glory of your name, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together. Standing on this mountaintop, looking just how far we've come, knowing that for every step you were with us. Kneeling on this battleground, seeing just how much you've done, knowing every victory was your power in us. Scars and struggles on the way, but with joy our hearts can say, Yes, our hearts can say, never once did we ever walk alone, never once did you leave us on our own, you are faithful, God, you are faithful, kneeling on this battleground, seeing just how much you've done. Knowing every victory was your power in us. Scars and struggles on the way, but with joy our hearts can say, yes, our hearts can say, never once did we ever walk alone. Never once did you leave us on our own. on the way, but with joy our hearts can say, never once did we ever walk alone, 
Carried by your constant grace, held within your perfect peace. Never once did we ever walk alone. Never once did we ever walk alone. Never once did you leave us on our own. You are faithful, God, you are We're so thankful you've been here this morning as we've worshiped, as we've praised, as we've encouraged each other, shared a time of communion, shared time in the Word of God today. May today be the first day of the rest of a week of loving and worshiping and serving God in everything you do. In your businesses, in your school, in your home, in your neighborhood, may all of our lives glorify God in everything that we do. All right, so Josh is going to come in word of prayer for us, and we'll be dismissed after that. God bless. Y'all bow. Oh, Lord, our God. We come before you with humble hearts, with hearts wonderstruck at the glory and the power of your name and of your creation and of your kingdom. Father, we thank you for your kingdom and we thank you for this kingdom and the effect that it has on this community, on the world, and on eternity. Lord, we thank you for this time of worship that you've given us uh, to come here and sing songs of praise to your name, Father God, to pray prayers of sincerity and to hear a portion of your word. We pray that this time has been an uplifting encouragement to every soul present. Lord, you know our hearts, you know our souls, and you know our minds. We know that we're humans, that we're doomed to fail, Father God. We know that we are doomed to fall short of your glory time and time again. But inasmuch as we know that, we also know that Christ Jesus is real. We know that Christ Jesus came. We know that Christ Jesus died so that through him we are redeemed, Father God. And we know that it is through him and through his sacrifice, Father God, and through Christ Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, that one day we will come to you in glory. Lord, we pray that here on earth, until that day comes, every day we will kneel here on earth in remembrance of that sacrifice, Father God, and in awe of your immeasurable grace. Father God, bring us back here at the next appointed time. Amen.